Welcome to... Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Cracked Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. We are less than one week away from the kickoff of the year's third and final Grand Slam event, the French Open, scheduled to begin play next week. And while it does feel like we know a little bit more than we did heading into this year's U.S. Open, there's still so much uncertainty heading into this event, right? We are going to get to see players like Rafael Nadal, Gael Monfils, Stan Wawrinka, Fabio Fognini, so many others who did not compete, did not make the journey to New York on the men's side, on the women's side. You know, it's even more contenders, people like Simona Halep, Kiki Burtons, Belinda Bencic, and more. They're all going to be in play here in Paris, and of course, there are so many storylines heading into this event. Will Rafa be able to continue his dominance at Roland Garros? Simona Halep, two clay titles already under her belt here in 2020. Is she the prohibitive favorite heading into this event? Of course, that U.S. Open wide open on the women's side. Will we see a similar type result here at the French? Or will maybe we see a little bit more stability? Maybe we see a couple of top-seeded players make their way through the draw comfortably. Players like Victoria Azarenka, Garbine Muguruza, who has played so well of late, a Karolina Pliskova as well. Uh, so many fun storylines to monitor. And of course, maybe not a fun storyline, but certainly the storyline of Above all else, we are trying to host this event in the midst of a global pandemic. How will the fact that the coronavirus continues to uh, exist in so many communities, it's so widespread, how will that impact what we see in this event? Of course, the bubble format, the different safety and health protocols in place at the French Open, very different than what we saw in New York. As of now, the French Open planning to have fans in the stadium, and of course, that is you know something different that we saw in New York. We also know the bubble protocols, what the players and, you know, the tournament organizers are doing with hotels and what they're doing with private housing. It's different regulations uh, than they had in New York. And certainly we have heard some responses from the players in terms of how they are reacting to those new safety and health regulations. But needless to say, it's an exciting Grand Slam for so many different reasons. Uh, And with that in mind, we are ready here at Crack Rackets to help get all of you listeners prepared for the year's third and final major. With that in mind, we're of course over these next couple of days going to talk about things such as our top contenders on both the men's and women's sides. We'll talk about things like the top dark horses. We'll talk about when they break out or when they come out, what the draws look like, who got the best draws, what the pathways to the second weeks look like for those dark horses, the unseeded players we think could emerge, the seeds on early upset alert. We will talk about all of those things and more. And to kick off our preview coverage of the French Open, we bring on one of my favorite guests here, a returning Crack Rackets champion. You, of course, know him as the smiling host of Tennis Channel Live. You may also have seen his work on Good Morning Football on the NFL Network on ESPN. Uh, but of course, there are few people more energetic throughout the tennis world than my friend Steve Weissman, who joins us today to talk about some of the biggest storylines heading into this French Open. Of course, Tennis Channel has the rights to this event, and so they're going to be doing so much of the coverage over these next two weeks. I know Steve's getting ready to head there now. He talks about what he had to do in preparation to head over there. Of course, we talk about 
the COVID-19 protocols, what they look like, how they may influence this event, the response we're already starting to hear from players. And then we break down, you know, some of our contenders. I break it down into tiers. I tweeted out my tiers yesterday of my top contenders heading into this event. I get Steve's thoughts on that as well. Of course, we talk about players like Simona Halep, Serena Williams, Carolina Pliskova, you know, for the men, Rafa, Djokovic, Fed, uh, excuse me, Dominic Team. All the names you expect to hear. Uh, we're going to get more in-depth in terms of the preview of the tennis we expect to see moving forward. But today, really focusing on the storylines. And then whenever I have Steve on, we have a ton of fun as well. So some Rosh Hashanah talk, some talk about where the Kreplach ranks in terms of best meated, I mean, doed meat. I don't know how to describe it. Best meat filling. I, I, I describe it in the in the dumpling family. Anyways, it's a, it's a fun conversation. I promise that all of you will enjoy. Uh, of course, we have so much preview content coming up for you listeners because we know you may want to get in on the action, take advantage of all of your knowledge, make yourself a little money in the process with our friends over at DraftKings in case you are not already playing along with them. Here's how it works. You're going to go to DraftKings Sportsbook account and make a deposit. From there, DraftKings will match your first deposit at 20% up to $500. Then you're going to make your first bet. And DraftKings will also match that with a risk-free first bet up to $500. And we all know the first week of a Grand Slam, that's the money-making opportunity. So many first-round bets, so many lopsided odds, so many chances for us, again, to put a little bit of cash in our pockets, you can do so by going to dkng.co slash cracked open to play. That's dkng, ooh, big gulp there, dot co slash cracked open. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER in Illinois, New Jersey, West Virginia, or Pennsylvania, 1-800-9-WITHIN in Indiana, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, or 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. You must be 21 years or older and in a participating state to take advantage of this offer. Deposit bonus comes in DK dollars, which have no cash value and must be used on the DraftKings website. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for more details. And again, go to DKNG.co slash cracked open to take advantage of their offer. Be sure to listen to our picks each and every day. We're making picks on Hamburg. We're making picks on Strasbourg, on the Challenger and ITF levels. And of course, French Open qualities going on right now. So much action across the tennis world. You can take advantage of all of that action by going to dkng.co slash cracked open. All right, with that in mind, let's get to your French Open preview content that you deserve, and let's kick things off with the one and only Steve Weissman. Joining us on the podcast once again, our returning champion here at Crack Rackets. You, of course, know him as the host of Tennis Channel Live. You may have also seen his work on the NFL Network, NBC Olympics, ESPN TV. And let me just say this. Of course, this man, as energetic as you're going to find, as enthusiastic as you're going to find. But I'll also say this. The single best posture you will see from any host throughout the entire television realm, Steve Weissman, welcome back to the show. Uh. Shana my friend how are you sanatova happy healthy sweet new year to you my friend uh it is a pleasure to be welcomed back onto your podcast everything is going well uh making final preparations before 
heading over to Paris for Roland Garros. Cannot wait to get there. Uh, super stoked for that. And, um, you know, bring, bring it in the new year. Yeah, no, I'm so happy to hear that. Of course, I am thrilled to uh, get ready to watch all of the coverage our friends at Tennis Channel are going to be doing for this French Open. Let me just start, though, with that posture because we do a lot more video stuff now on Cracked Racket, so I'm trying to take you know cues from the best in the business, whether it's your tie, your pocket square, uh, your sock selection, whatever it may be. <laughs> I consider you you know a role model for me, but I swear to God, Steve, I have never seen someone whose shoulders are so perfectly aligned and whose back is legitimately 180 degrees so i is it a conscious effort or is it just you know is it habit at this point i gotta be honest that's straight marshall weissman so that my father um you know since day one has always been a big posture guy he's like stand up straight and um so that's just been ingrained in me since you know birth basically um and so, yeah, I mean, that's where I get it from. I, I for sure get it from my dad. He has fantastic posture. And uh, and that's, you know, I, I feel like you, you sit up straight. You stand up straight. I mean, you know, if you're slouched over, it kind of gives the impression of you're not uh, fully engaged or maybe, I don't I don't know, like something's not, not completely right. Maybe you're um, not focused. So, you know, you always want to be in that, you know, kind of like ready position for tennis is, you know, good, good posture. Plus it's just better for your back. I mean, the, the older we get, you know, if, if you're, you're slumped, you know, slumpy as we'll say, <laughs> um, you know, you're going to have some issues later in life with like, you know, your, your L2s and L5s and whatever they call those things. So, um, yeah, good posture. Marshall Weissman, he's the man. So that's that's where I, I get no. uh, all that from. You look like a schlumpy schmuck. I completely agree <laughs> with you. <laughs> I'm not going to say that second word, but I know, I feel you. <laughs> Yeah, and no, it's uh, it's funny because uh, I'll dig into the wells here, and I know she'll listen to this episode, so my mom's like, ooh, am I about to get a tidbit into Alex's personal life? Yes, you are, mom. Um, I was, it was going into my junior year of college because my brother had just graduated. I was in his apartment. His roommate was in the, uh, helped do stuff in the film school, and so uh, I got to take his apartment while he was working before the lease was up yada 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 that doesn't matter I ended up sharing the apartment with an actress in the film school needless to say back in those days you know they didn't call me Gruskin they called me Frisky uh, because I was getting a little frisky and so she came up she was like Alex we've uh we've been doing stuff we'll call it for a little bit now so we can talk candidly right and I was like I think so yes and she's like all right your posture is atrocious like for someone who's six foot two like you stand there slumping like you don't show it off I have to be like yeah that's the guy I'm kind of seeing right now and that's just unacceptable and so you know from one person to another you're a role model for all of us Steve that's amazing well you've got really good shoulders right like you're like a shoulders (laughs) you're like built on shoulders I feel like that's where like you're you know so it kind of starts there with you so like just like do those shrugs and and keep keep it back like that I had one of my roommates who I often refer to as a wise man in my life, the same guy who said self-deprecation builds trust. Uh, he also says, Alex, when lifting, there's two things you flo- focus on, and it's the twin peaks, those traps. They're the most noticeable. <laughs> you know, you want to be Dwight Howard out there. You want them to see you. And so, yeah, I've also been told in terms of my dancing, I'm straight shoulder dancer. There's a lot of okay. wiggling. There's a lot of motion. Uh, it doesn't start with the hips, though, for me, and that is why I have never been a good clay court player, but fortunately, <laughs> 
conveniently for so many of these pros out there. They don't have that problem. They are excited for the transition to the dirt, as I'm sure all of us tennis fans are. And it's such a quick transition, uh, not only from that story to me trying to get into today's podcast, but also from the hard courts to the clay. And just let's start there, Steve. I know I'm still hungover. It's like nine days after the U.S. (laughs) Open. I'm not moved on from the results we saw. Are you ready to make the shift to this French Open? And then, you know, similarly, how do you think these players must be feeling with this quick transition? Yeah, so we're recording this on on a, on Tuesday, and yesterday was my I worked seventeen days in a row. So yesterday was seventeen of seventeen uh, at Tennis Channel. I also did a shift at Good Morning Football for NFL Network, but kind of thrown in there. But um, so I've made the transition. I mean, I I was doing the U.S. Open, and then you know we went straight after that, and you know covering Rome and. Um, Hamburg and Strasbourg and and Prague and like literally everything. So um, I made the transition right away, and uh, and Kitzbühel, you know, right after. Actually, in fact, I I did all of Kitzbühel. So that was the second week of the U.S. Open, and on Tennis Channel we were covering all the matches in Kitzbühel. So I I'm ready. Um, I feel like I'm like ingrained in the red dirt right now. Uh, in terms of the <laughs> players, you know, it, it depends on the player, right? So um, I think the Rafa's and Djokovic's are I think Rafa could for his own mind like in my mind like Rafa is totally ready in Rafa's mind because he bases a lot of things on doubt um maybe he's not but you know for Dominic Thiem that's another you know issue where he did not you know play any of the the lead-up events uh coming off the U.S. Open title so but I don't worry about Dominic Thiem on clay either um Serena Williams sure she didn't play one of the lead-ups on clay pulled out of Rome but that's kind of Serena's MO. Like sometimes she doesn't come into majors having played events beforehand. So I don't worry about Serena, Simona Halep. Well, she's won the last two, she's won 14 matches in a row uh, <laughs> and, and two straight on clay. So, you know, I'm not worried about her. Um, so of the folks that are kind of, you know, predicted to do well, I, I think they're all fine. Um, you know, so we'll see, but I think these days also it's not as big of a transition as it may have been before. And I would also say that, you know, the transition, you know, you used to come off grass and go to clay um, or excuse me, you'd go from clay to grass. I, I think that is probably tougher than going from hard court to clay. And a lot of players, you know, grow up playing on clay anyways. So um, all the surfaces have become so similar in terms of the speeds. The sliding is different, but people slide on hard courts now. It's a different type of slide, but I, I don't think it's as big of a difference as in the past. Um, I think they're all in shape by now because of, you know, they've been playing since August. And that's the biggest thing on clay is that you're going to most likely play longer points and thus for longer matches. So are you physically prepared? And I think that they are. Yeah. No, I completely agree with you. And to your point about Serena, it's the fact that she may not have played a match on clay, but she has played a ton of matches in the build-up to this, and that's always the most important thing for her. I mean, you nailed it in terms of Djokovic, Nadal, Halep. They're all confident for reasons that are very, very justified. Uh, Perhaps maybe the biggest adjustment for these players is going to be the traveling, the fact that they have to go from site to site, bubble to bubble, and, you know, test to test. And we were joking about this before this started. I 
know you just received your first COVID test uh, in preparation for this French Open. When we went down to Lexington for the top seed Open, we also got the full deal when they're going up the nose. And let's just start here. We've heard people complain, (laughs) and it's a grain of salt. A, there's not enough testing. Again, we'll hold this conversation for another time. By the way, that, oh, I did a shift on Good Morning Football. Humble brag if I've ever heard one. Um, But, but, you know, in terms of the COVID test, so I— we went in, lovely doctor, just such a lovely lady, exactly who you would want doing something that violent to you. She's like, look, it's going to sting for a little bit, but you'll get through this. And I was like, okay, thank you. And then she does it. And I mean, it's jammed up in there deep. There are no more secrets between me and her. She logged into my brain. She got the password and she has everything. And yeah. I come out of that room and I'm shadow boxing. Like I'm just punching the air and there's a bunch of people like around and they're laughing. They're like, what are you doing? And I was like, I was violated. I'm ready to fight. Like, is that how you felt? Am I crazy here? So, I, did you have the one that goes all the way up? I mean, there's all like the there's three versions. There's like the one that's just kind of like goes around the nostril, and then there's one that goes medium, and then the one that goes all the way. So, I, I believe I had the medium. Um, and so, I was, <laughs> we, the, we're all on the, like myself, Jim Courier, uh, Lindsay Davenport, Paul Anakin, we're all on the same flight. And so, we were all, we have to get a negative COVID test within 72 hours of landing in France. So we all took them this morning because we all leave on Thursday. And so we get the results tomorrow and then, you know, go from there. And then we, and then once we land, we have to, I have to take another COVID test in France on Saturday morning before I'm doing the uh, Roland Garros preview show that, that airs Saturday, uh, 1130 AM Eastern on tennis channel. Um, And then that's good for a week. And then we kind of have to do, one test per week. Now I hear that the test in France is really tough and painful. I mean, multiple <laughs> players and coaches yeah. have said it, it is painful. It is not comfortable. Um, so that's the one obviously that goes all the way up and I don't know what they're doing there. And, and I'm, I'm worried about it. I don't like anything, you know, like I, I'm not, I'm not good with these things. So courier is, is laughing at me because my face is apparently making really funky uh, movements and just like my mouth and he's just like you know like I knew it was coming but it was still I was still in shock apparently and uh and the guy's just like it, you know a little more it was like 10 seconds in each nostril I got through it, it I felt like I wanted to sneeze mm-hmm. um it you know it was a little tickle and then I like I, I needed to blow my nose after uh, but I made it through it was not fun I you know I it's not an enjoyable experience. I'm really dreading the one in France because of all the, you know, people that have discussed how painful it is. Mm-hmm. No, and it's funny because it's like we we have internet problems from time to time here at CR headquarters, and you go hit the reset button on the modem, and it's like hold it for ten seconds, and that's literally what they do to you. They're like, okay, we're hitting the reset button in terms of your COVID numbers, and we're going to hold it for ten seconds, and then you're done. And you're like, okay, this isn't horrible, but you know, for these players, it's the fact that they're coming off of one bubble where protocols were different. Now they went to Rome, and some of them went to Hamburg or Strasbourg, and now they're here in Paris, and it just sounds like all of these protocols from site to site you know tournament to tournament are different and you know what i'm hearing and i think 
players have been pretty public about this on social media as well, is it's causing a lot of frustration. And so I do wonder if now, you know, the same way six weeks into the NBA bubble, you started to see really the first wave of frustration with what was going on. We're now really six weeks into the return of tennis, and we're starting to see some frustration build, especially from these players who go, you know, case in point, a Benoit pair or a Demir Zumher. And obviously those are the outliers, but they go site to site and they got COVID once and it just continues to influence everything that that they try and do in the professional tennis world. And so I'm curious, you know, how do you think, I I feel like there might be a reaction in this French Open the way we didn't see one during the first bubble in New York. Yeah, I I think it's different. I don't know how much of a bubble it is. Like the U.S. Open, they spent months, right, getting ready for all the protocols, the bubbles, the testing, and making sure, you know, their T's were crossed and their I's were dotted. Roland Garros, to my knowledge, has not done that. They've been kind of working on the fly. And so, you know, and also they're right now going to have 5,000 fans for Philippe Chatrier, which is different than the U.S. Open. And then Rome decided on, you know, semifinals and finals day, they were going to let 1,000 people in. Um, So I think that, you know, obviously affects the players in terms of, well, if I have to just be at a hotel and go from hotel to site or hotel to practice court, which is what it is now in France, you know, what, but there's going to be fans there and, and how does that affect everything else? Um, so there are some unknowns there. And then also at the U S open, they allowed a player if they wanted to, to have, you know, personal housing, a rent, a private house, which Serena did and uh, Novak did and, and Naomi did. And, um, I I'm I don't know what you know Rafa is a very uh, regimented individual in terms of he, you know it's the same he goes to the same place for dinner every night in Paris he stays at the same hotel in Paris everything is the same are they going to make an exception for basically the king of your event um, you know or force him to stay in the same hotel with all the other players if I'm Rafa I'm probably you know I, I want to stay at the hotel I want to stay at um so mm-hmm. that'll be interesting to see serena does she have to stay at the same hotel as everybody or will they make an exception for you know the greatest of all time and be like, okay <laughs> you can stay your she has an apartment in paris will they let her stay there I, so th- there's definitely more questions uh heading into roland garros like for us we most of us are staying at one hotel but you know it's it's not a, a bubble um per se and I take everything very seriously. I've done that since March, and um, I don't know that everybody does. So, you know, for me, it's like, all right, I'm just going to go to the hotel and, and and eat there and then go to site, do my job, and, and then come home. So um, it's going to be a different Paris experience because Paris, to me, I mean, it's, my, it's personally my favorite major. I love Roland Garros. I love the city of Paris. It is charming you can, i can sit and watch the eiffel tower lights at night for hours every night and just be happy um and roam around the streets and not know where i'm going and it's truly um just such a charming romantic city but it's going to be different this year because i'm not going to be going out to dinners and you know enjoy i'm a big foodie and, and enjoying that aspect of it it's going to be you know amazing to be on that set on Philippe Chatrier, which to me is, is the most beautiful dynamic 
television set I have ever hosted on in my life. And I'm just so grateful to have that opportunity again. Um, but other than it's the outside things that are going to be different for me. And, you know, I think it's going to go off and it's going to go well. But um, just like the U.S. Open, you know, had some positive tests. We've already seen, I think, five guys that were withdrawn in qualies and one woman that was withdrawn from qualies from positive tests um, and, and questions surrounding those. So, you know, as the main draw folks come in, I think there'll pro- likely be, be some more situations like that. Does Lava New deliver on Uber Eats? <laughs> I don't know. Um, here's the thing, because I've, I've, you know, I've been talking about this a lot, because you know how much I love Lava New. And, of course. Um, I, I, I don't want delivered snails, you know? Like, that just seems <laughs> weird to me. Like, it's not going to be the same. It's just not. Um, it's either snails on site or, or no snails. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not getting snails Uber Eats. Uh, yeah. to, to the hotel, so maybe something else, but I don't know. I, that, that's 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 a bummer because Lavenu. Like I normally pick a place to live based on Lavenu. Like I'm like, how close is it to Lavenu? Can I walk? <laughs> yep. Okay. Great. Um, so so that you know that's gonna be that's gonna be different. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, you gotta do what you gotta do. No, absolutely. And you know, to your point you made about yeah. First of all, sometimes Uber Eats we can. Here's a really you know punny joke for you. It sometimes it delivers at a snail's pace, so maybe it's actually fitting <laughs> uh, that that's what you're ordering. But uh, in terms of you know, you, you talk about the French Open allowing fans, and what's so fascinating in particular is the fact that we talked about this many months ago. Grand Slams are the one of the you know one of four events that can afford to still host the event, make enough money from a TV. Show streaming perspective, sponsorship, etc., to not have to allow fans and still be financially feasible during a year. For the French Tennis Federation, for France, and it seems like they made this decision early on and just kind of want to stick to their guns, uh, to be allowing fans on site, even with limitations, uh, particularly given you look at the numbers for France and, you know, loosely, I mean, clearly numbers have risen since the start of August in France, and there was a particular spike at the start of September till about mid way through it got to a point where I think they were at like 13,000 cases uh, in mid-September on a given day do you think there's any world where the French Open just says you know what and maybe the players come together and they're like we don't want fans on site like we are not comfortable with this is there any world where they reverse that decision or you know do you think they're just going to go full steam ahead it is 2020 Alex so anything (laughs) is possible Um, I don't think it's going to be a player-driven situation i think it'll be a government driven uh Mm -hmm. initiative if it does happen it'll be the french government saying you can't do this um and then at that point they can't do it so uh i still think you know because at first it went you know it was five thousand on chatrier five thousand on longman fifteen hundred on simone matthew that has you know been reduced to just five thousand on chatrier by the way i mean it's such a like i want to have fans there right like Mm -hmm. i i think having fans even if it's a small amount just makes the experience that much better. I mean, mm-hmm. in Rome, when they had a thousand fans for the semifinals and finals and calling those matches, it just, it was just more, that atmosphere is, is irreplaceable. So um, can you do it safely? That's, you know, that's the question because I think the health and safety of the players and everyone on site is, of, and that includes fans is, is the most important thing, but I hope, I hope they can make it happen. I think it would be the government making a decision that would, you know, say that you can't do that. By the way, yes, cases are, are spiking uh, in France right now. But if you compare that to the United States, like mm-hmm. 
it's <laughs> ostensibly like safer. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> yeah. over there than it is here, uh, it's probably much safer. So, um, you know, the difference is uh, the France is, is very open right now, and every and you're trusting everybody to be responsible, and that's a that's a big ask. Um, but hopefully, you know, people are focused on we and not me. Mm-hmm. No, I, I completely agree with you. And again, we've seen instances already we had, you know, I think it's forever going to be called and it's almost dust, you know, it's was thrown uh, out in terms of important storylines. I was looking for a metaphor there. I abhor the cliche, so I'm glad I couldn't think of the metaphor I was looking for. But, you know, it's one of those storylines we'll have forgotten already. The pair 11, the fact that, you know, Benoit pair test positive, these 10 players were exposed to him or in close enough contact that they had their own separate uh, cor- or separate protocols at the U.S. Open. Uh, certainly at the French Open, as you mentioned, we've already seen players test positive. Uh, the French Open announcing a couple of them, and we've learned the names since. It was, you know, Dennis Istomin, I believe, Ernesto Escobedo, I think Kristen and Zapata, and Zapata were the four players who tested positive, I believe. Demir Zuma, well, it was coach. For, for three of those, it was the coaches, as, the, as yeah, far as I know. The, mm-hmm. yeah, and two, they two were, were and because and three were coaches. And because they were in exposure to those coaches, they were also removed from the draw. And I guess my question here is, look, there is always going to be uh, – there are going to be sacrifices if we want to have tennis. We all understand that. But from the player's perspective, I don't know. We saw the outrage so many of them expressed when uh, we saw at, at, at Cincy there was a false positive. Players were removed from the draw probably unnecessarily, uh, although was it a false positive? You know, we never had that confirmed either. Uh, and there's just a lot of confusion that goes into this. And so I guess my question would be, could you ever see there being a breaking point? Would there ever be a number or a player to where if said person tests positive, it's like, you know what? We might have to cancel this event because I feel like there is a, a non-zero percent chance of that potentially happening, particularly given how many early positives we're seeing here. Definitely not one player that would cancel the event because the event is bigger than any one player and the, the sport is bigger than any one player. Now, maybe there's a number of players. Like, if 30 players in the main draw tested positive, that's a problem, you know, in terms of... They, they did have qualities to their credit, which I think is very important. So, you know, the 30 lucky losers? I, I don't know. I mean, then yeah. that, that's tough. Um, but, no, I, I don't... I mean... There's no one player that is bigger than any Grand Slam. Uh, Grand Slams are going to go on for the end of time as far as, you know, we can fathom and players will not. So, um, you know, the event's going to go on either way. Uh, you know, the defendant, Rafa didn't come to New York. The The event went on. Novak was defaulted. The event went on. It, it, and there were glorious stories to be told. So um, I think it's more of, if 50% of the players test positive, that's an issue and you may have to shut down the event. But um, yeah, that, that, that's kind of the only, the only deal with that. But then you, you, I mean, you still have doubles, you have other things uh, going on. So, um, you know, it would have to be a major, major breakout of COVID cases to, to shut down the event. 
Mm-hmm. No, my only counterpoint would be, A, we don't know that Roger Federer and Serena Williams aren't ageless yet. We don't know that. Same deal with Gail Falkenberg, who I think was winning matches at like 65, the story goes. Um, you know, Amy Frazier, fellow Michigander, going to throw her some love. Ageless wonder on the tour. But yeah, father time, predominantly undefeated. Um, well, <laughs> no, I'm not saying that they may have three or four or five more years. But, oh, I don't know. If you're telling it, me there's a Federer-Federer mixed doubles final 2045 Wimbledon, and it's actually one of Federer's son and Papa Fed? Like, I believe that. 2045? So that's what? That's like 25 years from now. So he's 39. So you're putting him at, like... Yeah, mid sixties, upper sixties. No, that, no, I, that, I'm telling you right now. Like we can make that bet <laughs> if you want. Like that's well, not happening. <laughs> uh, uh, again, it's 2020. You never know. That's all I'll say. Oh, well, that's right, all. but it, 2045. <laughs> No, at that point, it'll be a Futurama thing where Federer's head is actually just in a glass jar at that point. And he's playing with okay, the robot's body. Sure, done. All right. Yeah, you and it's that just could, that could be. Yeah, that exactly. We'll put that in play. Well, you know, we're not going to see Roger Federer at this year's French Open, but we are going to get to see uh, so many of our favorite players. And it's great, you know, how many are making those who weren't comfortable traveling to New York will be able to play in this French Open. And so, you know, that means on both draws, we're getting really all of the top players in the world. And, you know, there have been some funky results clearly these past two weeks on the clay. A guy, a guy like Gael Monfils, who's 0-2, a guy like Kei Nishikori coming back from testing positive and from injury, but he's struggled as well. We've seen young players continue on their runs. I always say, you know, a six-week stretch is what really, that's when you first start to say, okay, this guy could be a top 10 or gal could be a top 10 player. And we've seen players like, you know, a Shapovalov or a Kasper Ruud on the men's side for the women's side. It just seems to be the same names rocking and rolling. So what I want to do next with you, I have separated my contenders thus far into tiers. You know, I have three tiers. These are the players I think are most likely to come away with the French Open title. This is how I narrow down my list for when we inevitably fill out our Tourneytopia brackets. And I told you this beforehand, I'm going to ask you for predictions <laughs> at the end. So get ready, you know, get All them right. loose. It's never going to be. I, I saw your tweets, by the way. I screenshotted your tweets and everything. So I know you're here. <laughs> good, good, good. I, I that Just so you know, that was my passive aggressive way of saying, get ready, Steve. Like, here's some research for you. That's, you know, if I was the producer on TC Live, you would not be happy with the way we communicated but um <laughs> anyway yeah uh anyways anyways uh getting to the tiers just in general uh let's start with the side that's more open let's start with the women's side because in yep. my opinion uh it's just it's such an exciting time in women's tennis you have just really you can separate it into four generations of players right now all nipping at the bit all with players within that generation capable of winning grand slams whether it be you know these young players we've already seen osaka and Kennan and Andrescu do it, but there are so many others who have competed at high levels a little bit older than them. You have people like Mertens and Conteve, and you want to throw Madison Keys and Maria Sakari in there. That's cool, too. Of course, you've got Halep, who looks just untouchable right now on clay. Carolina Pliskova coming out of a final, and then you're never going to count out Serena Williams. It's a wide-open field. I've limited down. I think I have five names that stand out above the rest. 
Uh, let's start with tier one, the player I have as the favorite, the person I think, and DraftKings ad- agrees with me, our friends over there, <laughs> Simona Halep, plus 275, the odds on favorite right now. As you mentioned, she won the title in Prague at the beginning of August. She won in Rome uh, this past week, beating multiple different types of players along the way. Uh, she won, what was it, Dubai in February. She was a semifinalist at the Australian Open, really could have won that match against Garbin Muguruza. She looks like a player just smack dab in the prime of her career. She's my pick, and I, I just see her in a tier by herself in terms of contenders. Do you see it that way? She's definitely the, uh, one of the... So I, I put two people in tier one, and Halep, by by way of just playing incredible tennis of late, winning 14 matches in a row. She's only lost two matches all year. Um and her game just translates so well to play. She seems incredibly fit right now. She seems mentally just in a happy place. I mean, when, when I've listened to the interviews after all the matches in Rome, she just, I just feel like this is like happy Simo. She, she knows her game. Um, she's confident in herself. And, you know, she's shown that on the court. So, she has to be one, and she's won Roland Garros before. I mean, there's been six different winners of Roland Garros since 2014. So, it, it, by the way, it's wide open. It's not like somebody's been dominating the past couple of years. But you know, she's one of those winners, uh, winning it a couple of years ago, and so she has to be one of the favorites. As long as Serena Williams is in a WTA draw, in a Grand Slam draw, she's tier one for me. It's just that I, I'm not ever going, you know, pick against her at your own peril. Um, she's too good. She, everything about her is, you know, the 23 majors. She, she's won more Roland Garros titles than anyone in the field. Like, don't sleep on that. She's got three of them. So, um, <laughs> it's, and, like, people are like, oh, this is her, you know, toughest surface. I'd love to have three Roland Garros t- titles on my toughest surface. You know what I'm saying? So, and by the way, Paul Anacone made a nice point on Tennis Channel Live this past week. Because it's allegedly her toughest surface, that's less pressure on her. So she comes in potentially more relaxed. And a more relaxed Serena is a more dangerous Serena. So to me, that tier one has to be Serena Williams and and Simona Halep. And then, by the way, there's a lot, you know, I know you're tier two, tier three. I mean, there's, there's a lot of other players that have potential because on the women's side, there are no guarantees. But Halep and Williams are, are definitely at the top of my list. So I agree with everything you said about Serena Williams, and I think the fact that she made the semifinals of the U.S. Open, the fact that she took that first set in such convincing fashion against Victoria Azarenka, you just can't write that off, and you're absolutely right. It doesn't matter if she doesn't play a lick of clay tennis in the build-up to this French Open. She's Serena freaking Williams. You know what you're going to get out there. She has competed so well, uh, even when the tennis hasn't been there since the restart in August. You know, she didn't play a single good match by her standards at the top seed open. She still ended up making what, the quarterfinals of that event before bowing out in a 7-6 in the third to Shelby Rogers, you know, at the Western and Southern. Again, she wasn't playing well, got a win over Roos, probably should have won that match over Maria Sakkari. Same deal with a bunch of her wins at the U.S. Open. And yet that's something I keep circling. That's why Simona Halep's in a tier by herself because Simona Halep, whether it was, you know, Diana Yastremska in the quarterfinals, which I wanted to watch that match just because I wanted to see how Halep matched up with someone who was a hard hitter and 
even that one, she looked good. Whether it was against Muguruza, whether it was against Putin Seva, it didn't matter the type of opponent. Simona Halep is just playing exceptional tennis right now. Serena Williams has... You just can't deny it. She was the beneficiary of the best possible draw she could have been handed at the U.S. Open. And I am a complete uh, proponent of the fact that you can only play the person who shows up across the net from you. You don't control that aspect. But you certainly benefit from it. And for Serena Williams, the fact that realistically the toughest player she played in the buildup to the semifinals was Maria Sakkari, that was a blessing. And I just, with the depth right now in women's tennis, with how many players who, when they're playing their best tennis right now, with all due respect to Serena, just because of where she is uh, day in, day out, they can beat her. And I just, I worry about that going in. That's why she's tier two for me and not tier one. Is that I don't know. I mean, like, listen, third round Sloane Stevens is not an easy draw by any stretch of the imagination. Like, Sloane is a former top three player who has won the U.S. Open, and she took the first set off for 6-2. That's not an easy draw. That was a tough win. But it's win. 2000, 2020, Sloan. doesn't matter. Not, because yeah. Sloan, to me, Alex, it doesn't. she could lose 10 matches in a row, and I get it. Like, that can happen with Sloan. She's somebody, in any draw, on any day, can win any event. Like, she is that good when she wants to be. So that's a tough match. And having lost to Sakari before, coming back to then beat her in a third set, that's a tough match. Karankova, by the way, not an easy opponent. I mean, like, she yeah. she was legit that whole two weeks. Um, and then Azarenka has won 15 of her last 17 matches. I mean, that's and, – and, and is a grand slam champion and then has beaten Serena multiple times before. And so I don't see I – don't, I don't buy the whole easy draw concept because another factor – when Serena Williams steps on a court, whoever is on the other side of that court is playing their 150% level. Like they're trying to beat Serena more than any other player that they try to play because it's Serena. Serena gets your A plus 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 effort, and so that's what makes it even more difficult for her, no matter who is who she's playing. Um, and that, that's that's just how I stand on that. No, that's fair. And again, I I. I... I love to say this. I think two things can be true. I agree with everything you said. That's why she's tier two for me. Why I can't put her in tier one is just from a tennis perspective, the serve when it's on, of course, is still the best shot in the history of the women's game. But the other pieces just haven't been there consistently for two out of three set matches. And I just think there are too many good women who, as you mentioned, are going to be going 150% that they can just take her out in the course of having to win seven matches. Uh, and so she's tier two for me, uh, but she is in a group of, I think, women who are all absolutely capable of winning the French Open. I have her. I have Garbine Muguruza, who, if healthy, finalist at the Australian Open, was down and out in her, I think it was semifinal match against Simona Halep and then somehow managed to take that second set in Rome. Uh, I think she looks exceptional. I think Victoria Azarenka, as you mentioned, 15 out of 17 speaks for itself. And then I'm just going to throw a sliver of attention at Karolina Pliskova because I just feel like in the same way it took a 2020 pandemic and all of the various compounding factors for Dominic Team and a new man to break through on the men's tour, I feel like that's exactly what it might take for Karolina Pliskova to get the Grand Slam title her career so desperately deserves. I'm with you there. I, I mean, people are like, oh, when, when it comes to a big server, whether it's John Isner, Karolina Pliskova, somebody of that stature they always sleep on them on clay because they're like oh it's a slow surface 
they actually like that. I mean, John likes to play on clay because it gives him more time. Carolina likes to play on this surface because it gives her more time to get to return the ball. Her serve is going to be go through you no matter what. Like the the clay does not hurt their serve. It just helps their return and it helps their baseline game because on a hard court or a grass, she doesn't like playing on grass. In fact, that's her least favorite surface because she doesn't have time. And as you know, I mean, what separates the good from the great is taking away time. And so Carolina Pliskova, I think, is is a sneaky, great tier two um, pick there. Getting to the finals in Rome, has confidence on clay, won Rome last year, and has been to the semifinals at Roland Garros. So, um, you know, she specifically was excited for playing on this surface. And so I, I, I truly like that pick. Uh, Garbina Muguruza, to me, obviously, she's won Roland Garros. When, when you've won a major and you're coming back to it, you have kind of those those positive vibes, those memories that you can draw upon in a deep in a third set, knowing that you have fought your way through to that title before. So, uh, and she's been playing well uh, since the, since we've come back on tour. So, I, I like Muguruza as well as Arenka. I mean, I'm so I'm so happy for her. The fact that she's been able to to find her game. And, and once again, I, I draw the fact that she has been very happy off the court, right? Like she just seems like every match is fun. She's like, Oh, I can't wait to play this fine. It's going to be so fun to play against so-and-so, you know, she said before when she actually had won the majors, you know, it was, it was more of a job tennis. And now everything is, she appreciates it more and she's enjoying it more. And whether you're Simona Halep or Victoria Azarenka, and I also think Garbina Muguruza is in a real good place uh, mentally right now, that translates so much on the court. And so um, I, I, I agree with you that, that they all have uh, a, a great potential, you know, to go far. Um, I, I think some of your tier three players actually have a better, like somebody like Spitalina, um, you know, who, who has a great record on this surface and is, and is also kind of just looking to, to break through, you know, has been to the quarterfinals at Roland Garros uh, a couple times before and, and just needs, you know, that, that mental focus toward the end, toward that second week of a Grand Slam. Um, I was really shocked by Sophia Kennan's, uh, you know, performance in Rome. That was, but th- to Double me, that's... Bagel. That's just an, it's gotta be an aberration, right? Like that's yeah, not, absolutely. That, that can't be real. So, I mean, it happened, but, um, you know, I, cause she's such a fighter. I mean, that's the last person I'd expect to get double bageled. So I think Horrified. she's going to come back. I mean, she beat Serena at Roland Garros last year and, and nobody to this day, like nobody talks about her. She's the Australian <laughs> open champion. She's a top five player. We need to talk about Sophia Kennan more. Mm-hmm. No, hey, I've I'm with you again. Uh, check the tapes. 2018 recap. You uh, American men and women with Jonathan Kelly, my friend. I did this whole <laughs> twenty. Uh, it was probably a ten minute little diatribe with him about why Sophia Kennan had the second best season of any American player. And you know, I think 2018 was the year. Was that the year Sloan won? Um, maybe it wasn't. Yeah. I don't, I don't no, know. no, no, no. She yeah. won 2017. Yeah. And so there were a bunch. That was, that was the year Daniel. 
yeah, there were a bunch of good players. In that year, I had Kennan 2 and Danielle Collins 3. And right away, Collins made that Australian Open semifinal. And then Kennan wins three titles, I think it was, last year. So, last year, yeah, yeah, I still pat myself on the back for those sorts of things. But, no, I, I completely agree with you. It was an aberration. And I think you can write that one off. Look, any time a result is that extreme, it's a write-off. Because if you watch that match, Sophia Kennan just she didn't have it that day. And sometimes that happens. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I think, so I guess of those tier three players, and by the way, I, I completely agree with your point on Pliskova. If you give her time to hit a forehand cleanly, she wins the point. It's that simple. And she has, if you watched her run in Rome, the way she just broke down Marketa Vandrusova, who's going to throw a bunch of different looks at you, but it didn't matter because Pliskova had time to get to all of those looks and respond to them accordingly. If she's healthy, I agree with you. She's definitely someone I like. In terms of the tier three names, I've added some since after shaming on social media. Uh, it was a character <laughs> thing more than anything else. If I had more characters, I would have thrown in a Kanta, a Burton's, a Sabalenka. Um, but of those you know, names we haven't talked about, because I think those top five have pretty clearly distinguished themselves, if there was another name you would throw out there on the women's side, who might it be? Um, I, I liked your Elisa Mertens pick, you know, because she's yes. been playing really well. Um, and you just, you know, you can't, put anything you know in other than winning matches right i mean that, that just gives a player so much confidence uh but i would add in coco golf why, why not coco golf this is 2020 this is a place where she won the junior title just a couple of years ago so i yeah i think clay could ultimately be one of her best surfaces i mean i think she's going to win multiple titles on multiple surfaces um but Nobody's talking about her right now, and mm-hmm. I think Coco Goff could make a sneaky run. I, I mean, when the draw comes out, it, it'll be, you know, we'll, we'll see how it all kind of plays out and who she has to face. But these days, if, if Coco's not in one of your tiers, I think, I think you're missing out. Yeah, that's fair. I my tiers have an you must be eighteen years or older to be in my tiers. It's just like one of those things. Just to <laughs> By keep the way, myself. So then, how about Anna Samova, who made the semifinals last year? I, that is a great pick. And had she not lost first round in Hamburg to throw me off the sense, and then that match with Yastremska, which I thought she just she should have won. Like she or in Rome, yeah. excuse me, not Hamburg. Yeah, uh, but the match with Yastremska in Rome, she she had that one in the bag, and so. Uh, it just depends where, how the draw shakes out. That's why I'm not ready to throw her in there because I think if she faced uh, you know, a, a top five seed, she would have more trouble than some of the other names. But you know, in terms of someone I know your colleague, Brett Haber, is a fan of, Marie Buzkova, I'll continue to say just you, you, the, the female Pablo Carreno Busta does a lot of things really, really well on the court. Is such a tough out, I think, depending where she lands in the draw. That's a second-week candidate. Obviously, Jess Pagula playing so well. Uh, she's a second-week candidate. There are a lot of fun uh, names in there, but it's still wide open. And yet, it felt like going into the U.S. Open, legitimately 30 different women could have won the title. In this one, I really do think it's going to be one of Halep, Azarenka, uh, or you know, Serena, um, who am I forgetting? Muguruza. Muguruza. And I can't, yeah, I can't even remember my tears anymore. This hour Pliskova. shifting. I mean, and Pliskova. But here's me. the other thing. Like, Vondrosova needs to be in a tier. Like, she got to the She's three. last She's year. She's tier three. Tier three. Oh, that's your updated tier three. I'm that, sorry. Ex- that, I mean, Vondrosova, <laughs> that's a long last name. So did you Come take on. off Martich? Uh, I actually just expanded tier three. Okay. I didn't. Yeah, I, I decided to scrap the top ten and just go with the names I like. You By know, the way, I, I, 
I got to give a shout out to, to the WTA because mm-hmm. their website now, WTAtennis.com, has mm-hmm. all the women pronouncing their names. Mm-hmm. So now we know it's Maria Sakari, and mm-hmm. we know it's Vondrosova instead of Vondrosova. And if the crazy one, uh, we always used to say Barbara Streetsova. It's Barbora Strikova. Like, who knew, right? So, and Anjabur, not Anjabur, Anjabur, Burr, like cold. I didn't Um, know it was Will Yams. I thought it was Williams. (laughs) Turns out it's Serena Will Yams. It's (laughs) Gruskan. Exactly. No, it's Grushkin. Somehow they always find an H. Oh, that's not bad. No, it's it's, Eastern European. Yeah, well, again, they they got that right, my friend. Um, but yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, I I agree with you. Shout out to the WTA website. Shout out just in general. The WTA have been killing it. I mean, seriously, in terms of the level of play, in terms of just the amount of marketable stars right now in the women's game, I think the 2010s is going to be such an exciting time for women's tennis. For sure. how, how bummed are you though? No Osaka, no Andrescu. <sighs> So the Andrescu one, I've let slide. I just keep it, you know, it's hidden in my mind so I don't think about it because it would bum me out. The Osaka one just makes sense. Like, Naomi, get some rest. You have earned it. Don't frustrate, you know, don't hurt that hamstring because, you know, shameless plug here, we spoke with her hitting partner, Carousel, on the Cracked Interviews podcast this week. Uh, and just the way he made it sound like it was such a no-brainer, just like the hamstring was clearly still bothering her throughout the three weeks in New York. And it's just play it safe. And that leads me to a ta- well, yeah, quick tangent for you, and then we'll switch to the men quickly, and then I promise I'll let you go. Um, now I, I asked him this question because I've looked it up. It's been one of my pet uh, pet research projects. You talk about the list of Grand Slam champions on both the men's and women's side who have won more than you know eight. If you win eight titles, that really gets you into the category of the elite in, of the elite. And you look at the amount of players who have done it in the Open era. Seven women have done it. Eight men have done it. For Naomi Osaka, she's at three titles now uh, through age twenty-two. So if I said over under, Steve, seven and a half titles for Naomi Osaka, and I know that's a lot, but she's 22 years old. Would you put her on that list? Do you think she gets over that hump, gets to that magic eight number? Yep, I'm a positive guy. I'm always, I'm never going to bet against a champion, mm-hmm. and so, and I, I think she's complete package. So yeah, I go, I go over. I agree with you. I think she's going to enter that category of the elite of the elite. I think she's that special, can be that dominant. And yes, I will miss both her and Bianca Andreescu, but I can't allow myself to focus on that. Too much tennis to consume, and obviously we have an entire men's field that I think is a little By bit easier. By the way, easier. One, one final nugget, Alex. Ooh, before, I like it. Before I let you transition. Is this a, some, is this a chicken McNugget or is this a Chick-fil-A nugget? I, I don't mess with the fast food, but... <laughs> <laughs> We gotta keep it clean, my man. Right? We gotta, <laughs> this, it's a Weissman. Trim. It's a personally baked nugget. It's a it's a personally baked nugget. Um, you know, I did I did I did my cardio sprints today out out front. Did my push got my push ups and so well, you know we got I got now Nick Monroe's working for tennis. Gym. I've got Nick Monroe, Prakash Amitraj, and Jan Michael Gamble. Like we literally need a, a calendar because these guys are jacked. And, You've been uh, relegated so, to special teams. Yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> if that, I'm water boy. I mean, like, I can't compete. You're the gunner. Them. Yeah, I cannot compete with, with any of them. I mean, they're just ripped. So, anyway, so I got to, you know, crafty face. But final, final Nuget, because uh, we're headed to France. Um, it's 
Did you get that? You didn't even get that. Nugget. No, Nuge. No. I got. I got Nuge. Hey, okay. great shot. Is when, you ha- when, you, when you have to explain it, it's the worst. No. So. Well, when, let me. Before you get to this Nuge, nothing, <laughs> nothing, Steve, makes me happier. I swear <laughs> that I know for the fact. For the next fifteen years, I'm gonna get different Dennis Shapovalov quotes from his songs from you in between each changeover, and I look forward to it. I'm like, what's he gonna go with here? What's he gonna go with here? And that drip was, down, drip down. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> One of them are just gonna. By the way, Quarantine Moutet is like my new favorite guy. I now follow his music on Instagram, and and I had like I just posted a, like a sunset the other night. You know me, like I post sunsets every night. But but I had to find some photo to to put Chapo's trip on because I was just like I need to I need to put it on my Instagram. Like I, I love I like I love Chapo. I love him rapping even more. Uh, people hate on that, but like but then I found Moutet. And he's got, you know, his French raps are insane. Like, I don't know what they mean, but I like them. Like, I've, I've listened to all the songs. I don't understand them, but they're, they are dope. And then when he, like, gets in with, like, the drip down, he's like, made another meal. Like, you know? With, like, yeah. And I'm like, oh, yes, quarantine. <laughs> doing, doing, doing the remix, re, remix to tennis. He's like, oh, man, he's the man. Um so the night, yeah, we'll get some more night train, you know, in the flow. But here's here's your news day. Okay. Uh, so Simona Halep with that title, nine now clay court titles to her name. That's tied for the second most of active players on the WTA. Do you know who she's tied with? I know she's ahead of Azarenka. I know she is going to be tied with who's been I'll a long Kuznetsova. Kuznetsova. No. Okay. You want a hint? I'll, I'll take the hint. Venus Williams. <laughs> <laughs> and and you know who has the most? Serena. Serena. So that's that one why I she's tier you. one. Is you got five more. So, <laughs> all right, we can move to the men now. <laughs> no. Oh, look, we will have this conversation at a different time. In terms of because I'm going to call the 21st century the first 20 years the Serena era. When I look back, and I'm sure someone will write the book with that title, the Serena era, and it's just who were the most consistent challengers to her two decades of dominance. I don't think she's number two on the list. It's probably got to be Justine Ennin or you know maybe Venus. Uh, that's an obvious one. But Simona Halep, if she, once she gets Grand Slam title number three, and I think it's a win, not an if, uh, she belongs maybe in the top five of that conversation. She has been so, 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 so good. And I I wish we spoke about her the way we speak about a Sharapova or just some of these other of the game's elite, some of the all-time greats, because I think it was Courtney Nguyen who tweeted it out. Like, the last seven years, she's reached either number one or two in the world. Old. that's just ridiculous it is no she's she's totally legit like once she got over that hump i think she relaxed gotten a you know a better mind space in terms of like I, i'm not the greatest to never have won a major now i've done it now i've done it twice um but i mean you got you got you know when you want to share was one five so like get get to five we'll start talking about you like maria right yeah drip drip i agree with you <laughs> completely <laughs> With that in mind, we could get to the men quickly, and I think we can do this one uh, fairly more simply because I have three players in my tiers one and two. It's a two-man race for me in tier one. I think Novak Djokovic, I, I, this is a stupid thing. I can't quantify it, and I try to stick to the quantifiables, but 
I, there's just a world. I see it. Novak Djokovic is the sort of athlete, the sort of competitor who holds petty grudges, who will look at what happened at the quarterfinals at the U.S. Open and say, wow, I lost a Grand Slam. And obviously, it was a mortifying moment in his career and something he wants to move past uh, as quickly as possible. And I think the way he does that, by ripping off an undefeated 2020 season, by having that be the only blemish in a perfect year. And he's maybe the one athlete in human history who has the combination of longevity and, you know, just ability to stay healthy for that long to do it. I think the Rome title only adds to his confidence. And Nadal, you know, he belongs in Tier 1 until he I actually see him lose not even once, but two years, maybe even three years in a row at the French Open. So he's in Tier 1 as well. But I see a world where Novak just rips off an undefeated streak. Am I crazy? You're not crazy. Um, he's that good, and he's been that good all year long. Um, the difference for me, and it, it's it's not a slight difference. I mean, so in Paris at Roland Garros, the difference is three out of five. That's the difference. So... Yes, Rafa, last year, you know, heading into Roland Garros, he had lost in the semifinals of Monte Carlo and Barcelona and Madrid. And he had that amazing quote where he said, you know, what happened in Monte Carlo happened. What happened in Barcelona happened. What happened in Madrid happened. We are here. We are in Rome. And what did he do? He went out and won in Rome. And then, of course, he won his 12th title at Roland Garros. Um, Three out of five, it's the toughest thing to do in sports. Like, whatever, NBA, football, like, to beat Rafa Nadal three out of five on clay. Like, it, it is what it is. 93-2. and two. two losses. Soderling 09, Djokovic 2015. It doesn't happen. You add on the, I think, 25 other ones in D- Davis Cup and other events that were three out of five. That record is insane. So, like you said, until it is proven that somebody can do that twice, <laughs> maybe even twice, I still don't believe it. You know, he, he <laughs> is the favorite because, you know, if, if and I, you know me, like Diego's my man. Like, I love Diego <laughs> like a brother. And um, if that were three out of five, I don't think he wins. I agree. So, I agree <laughs> you know, it's just it's just a different ball game, you know, and, that, and that's what makes three out of five at Roland Garros just the toughest test in, in tennis, in my opinion, because. <laughs> Because it's Rafa, it's that surface, and it, it's just you know uh, unbearable. So he's st- he's still one A. If you, I mean, he's one A. Djokovic would be one B. I would not mm-hmm. be shocked at all if Novak went out and won because he's the world number one. He's 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 the best right now. And like you said, he really hasn't lost a match this year. I don't like mm-hmm. the narrative that the U.S. Open was his if he doesn't get defaulted. Like to me, by the way, he was down a break in the first set, so like he wasn't even winning, and yeah. that you know, and he still needed to win multiple matches after that and so it, it was not his u.s so he did not lose the u.s open he was defaulted from a match mm-hmm. um that said the likelihood was that he you know had a great chance better than anyone else in the field to win it and this year has been just next level for him but i still you know it, it's there's just nothing harder there is nothing harder in the world right now uh, well not in the world in the sporting world uh, than beating Rafa three out of five on clay. 
No, I agree. And this isn't quite a Nuget, but I would say this is a freedom fry, which, of course, not a French fry, still freedom fry. They didn't support us going into Iraq. Uh, no, that was a joke. Just kidding. That was a deep cut for our history fans out there. Uh, I remember the freedom fry era. I remember being like, I'm not calling it that. Like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Um, but anyways, just a French fry for you from Bastian Fashan. I mean, he tweeted it out in the past five years on Clay. Rafa's lost four total sets. 6-2 or worse. Do you know how hard it is? That would be like, I'm sure even you, uh, cook culinary extraordinaire, you go through your seven meals you're cooking each week, you're going to screw up one of them. Like, Rafa, <laughs> over five years... Probably like five of them, but... You know. Yeah, he, exactly. He's had four bad sets, and he went on to win two of the matches where he had those four bad sets. I mean... The, I agree with you. He's 1A. And, you know, I, I've done this before on the podcast. My favorite video from Rafa Nadal every any time. It was a Wimbledon video. They're asking him, can you remember all of your losses on clay? Because I think he had, like, seven losses over the past, like, <laughs> seven years or something. He goes, like, oh, 2012, didn't lose. 2013, uh, didn't lose. 14, Soderling. And he's just, like, going through the list. And it's actually, he's like, okay, I, I guess eight. And they're like, no, you lost seven times. He's like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Um, and it's like, yeah, you <laughs> You just you don't doubt him and he already got his one loss out of the way this year so i yeah. think he is 1a djokovic 1b the only other guy i would put in the conversation simply because he's made the last two finals at roland garros he is now a grand slam champion and of course we saw him beat djokovic in a four-day or three-day marathon last year dominic team who's not quite tier one but is my only guy in tier two is that fair to say that he's it probably goes djokovic nadal gap Dominic team gap everyone else yeah no I mean I'm I'm right there with you we're you know the women's game six different champions since 2014 we we know on the men's side who, who's been dominating and who's been able to, to break through and because of the fact that Stan Wawrinka is not where he was before I, I don't you know necessarily put him uh in that category Dominic team is playing incredible tennis and I'm so happy for him that he was able to get his first major at the U.S. Open uh, on a hard court when, you know, people were like, oh, this is a, a clay court guy to go from, you know, no sets against Rafa a couple of years ago, took a set off him last year. Um, I, I think, you know, he can go a step further and it, it depends on the draw, right? Is he on Djokovic's side? Is he on uh, Rafa's side? But I think he can, I think he can take Rafa to five. I, I truly do believe he can take him to five. I don't have the confidence right now that he can, overcome him but prove me wrong right um mm -hmm. but yeah i mean he, he's that next guy i think he's going to win roland garros more than once once rafa decides that he doesn't want to play anymore um but he's just not he hasn't proven to be there yet he could prove prove us all this year that this is his year and he's going to win you know back-to-back -back majors um mm -hmm. i'm surprised actually that you know he didn't play rome this is a guy who <laughs> You know, like, yeah. you set up a match in Michigan and he'll come play you. So, <laughs> um, but yeah. uh, but I, I love what he's been doing, and, and this surface suits his game so well. And, I mean, he, he's got it all. He's, he's got everything. Mm -hmm. No, I completely agree with you. I think the single most important question moving into the French Open for the men's side is what half of the draw is Dominic Team on? Is he a totally. number one seed Novak Djokovic or number two seed uh, Rafael Nadal? Now, last two questions, I promise, because we are already blown over the 40 minutes. I said that was all I was going to ask of you. Of course, 17 straight days. Good morning, America, on top of Tennis Channel Live. Yesterday, good morning, football. I good morning, good morning football. America. No, you made a good morning, America appearance. Let's be honest. I saw you in the crowd. Um, well, I 
back no. in the day when I was at ESPN, we used to tape a sports segment for GMA. Like if you did oh. the overnight highlight express on ESPN News, you would tape GMA for the morning. So uh, yes, back in the day I was on, but this, yes. this was G- this was GMFB. <laughs> yeah, thus page six called you handsome. Of course, that's it's it's full circle now. It's all starting to make sense. But no, my my last two questions for you. Uh, one, you know, regarding the French Open, one not, and I told you I was going to ask you uh, for this. So let's get you on the record, Steve Weissman. Your predictions for our Roland Garros men's and women's singles champion. So on the men's side, I mean, at, at, you can you can draw from what I have already uh, expounded upon, but I'm going to go Nadal for number 13. Uh, luck, lucky number 13 for Rafa mm-hmm. at Roland Garros. Uh, until proven differently, like three out of five, he's just the man. And on the women's side, it is a it is a tougher tougher call because I truly do believe that multiple players have have the chance to do it. Um, I'm going to go Serena Williams just because of the fact that, you know, she's there and that means she's committed. You know, there was question about whether she was going to go to Paris uh, following the U.S. Open and she did. And, you know, I don't know how many more. I know you say that she can play until she's 65, but (laughs) I don't I don't know how many more opportunities there will be. And she's committed now and, and a committed Serena is a Serena that I don't want to face on a tennis court and a, and a Serena that I don't think anybody else does. So 24 in Paris. There you go. I love it. I love those predictions. I didn't, uh, I realize now looking through my notes, I left a question on the table in terms of Hawkeye live. I was going to say, is this the last mm. year we see no Hawkeye live at majors? Uh, now I've read a lot about the clay and the, I, I, my favorite thing is when I get to bring in a funky word, the undulations that happens in the level of the clay, uh, obviously the movement, uh, the various skids, yada, 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 the surface level for a clay court doesn't say stable. And because it does not say stable, the sensors are misaligned and they'd have to do a lot of adjusting of the sensors to make it work on clay court. There's a lot of mumbo jumbo. You know, the last science course I took was in a high school. Uh, but needless to say, at the hard courts, very feasible on grass. They do have to do more adjustments, but not as much as they would have to do on the clay because while the composition of the grass uh, changes, the level of the surface stays constant uh do you think though these these 2020 events will be the last year so we don't see hawkeye live at majors so this is just a majors question okay because the yeah, majors just ha- majors the money they have the they're, money to yeah do it. financially they, they can make yeah. it happen um so at the hardcore majors well I, I hope so i think that they should use hawkeye live at every major other than roland garros and they should use hawkeye live to find the mark so, or video review, whatever technology is available, just to get the mark right, because because of the undulations and the, and the <laughs> margin of error. So that you know, it's like I think it's three millimeters margin of error, one way or the other, on hard court, and the players have bought into that. And they're okay with it. Once you get to a clay court, and you see Novak Djokovic look at a mark, and it's clearly out, but Hawkeye Live has called it in then I do believe that they are going to lose confidence in Hawkeye Live on hard courts. Mm-hmm. And that's a problem. Um, so be- because you, you do have marks that are not necessarily clear because we see all the time a chair on person saying, well, I, I see it as in. And the guy's like, well, no, there's, there's I, I see a space. And there's like no space. So you're going to have those ar- arguments. But get the mark right. I don't know if you saw the call that went against Milos Raonic 
atrocious. Right, atrocious. So because of that, use the video review, Hawkeye, Fox 10, whatever you want to use to get the mark right. Now, at that point, I don't think you, I, I still don't think you can use Hawkeye on clay because it's not uh, accurate enough, but it should be used on all hard courts. Um, I, you know, I feel for anybody, I don't want anybody to lose their job. I <laughs> totally understand the whole entertainment aspect of the challenge system, which is the best in any sport out there. But at the end of the day, if you have the ability to get 100% of the calls correct, that's what I want. Yeah, completely agree with you. Well-reasoned from start to finish. Yeah, I mean, it. if, yes, yes, I don't have to add anything else. <laughs> Sometimes you can just move to the next segment. So my final question for you. And oh, this that is, wasn't the final. We haven't no, <laughs> no, that was the one I forgot. This one, though, is the most important question. Maybe the reason I brought you on the podcast, because, again, with all of your expertise, and by the way, for our fans, you can find Steve's smiling face, his energy, his perfect posture every day on Tennis Channel Live, of course, through this French Open. But we also know you're a culinary expert on top of your sporting expertise. And so... In terms of, and I do think this category, this particular food item, and you know, we started out the podcast with a lachanatova, so you know where I'm <laughs> heading. Uh, I think this item of food falls into the dumpling family. Is the kreplach the most underrated of the dumpling family? I would say yes. Wait, what? So the crep, the kreplach, the kreplach. I don't even like. So you know, when when I, I mean, I know Kugel, I know. Uh, get a little matzo fish. ball action. I know oh, rugula. I know the matzo balls. Um, what else can uh, I throw in there? The brisket. fish and uh, horseradish is just the death of me. A, I, a, it's a, it's a, a quick knish. I'm, I'm down with the knish. <laughs> Blintz. Um, blintzes. I love blintzes. They're not very healthy for you. Um, <laughs> a krepla. I, I feel like I'm a, like I'm I'm not doing well for my people. Like I, this I don't is a revelation is. for you. Oh yeah. Well, it's, maybe it's, we called it something else. What, what is yeah, this? It's it's like a little meat. It's a it's a little. It's it's, a, it's an accessory to the matzo ball soup. So it'd be kreplach and matzo ball soup. And it's oh, we didn't it's like do a that. Wan, it, I would call it a Jewish wonton. Would be my description of it in both texture, not in flavor, because it's a little heartier, much like our religion. Um, but you know, it, it's uh, it, it's delicious. It's exceptional. So my mom makes the best matzo ball soup around, and there are no. Outside of my grandma, but still. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It's all about the matzo balls to me. Like, if you can make a good matzo ball, I mean, that can, you know, kind of make up for bad soup or bad anything else. And I feel like the kreplach is trying to make up for bad soup because a dumpling, in essence, makes up for bad soup. Like, I like dumplings, but when you put it, like, a dumpling doesn't deserve to be in soup. Not doesn't deserve. It's not necessary. (laughs) (laughs) Deserve is totally different. It's not necessary in a soup. Like a soup can stand on its own. You could have just broth. I mean, you go to you know a fancy place or have like a good chef. The broth should stand on its own. And I feel like the dumpling is just kind of like masking bad broth. So a kreplach is masking bad matzo ball soup. Uh, would, be, <laughs> would be my take on that. And maybe it can be like its own thing, like its own like little knish, uh, but more of the of the soft realm. Um, but yeah, I, I this is you're you know you're teaching me today, so I appreciate my my uh, Jewish mentor Alex Gruskin. Uh, 
<laughs> that's doing, Grushkin doing to you. Today. <laughs> yeah, that's Grushkin to you. But no, I, my uh, my last piece of advice or my last story would be: I have my aunt Gail, my dad's sister, who is just so funny, so so funny, and just your typical crazy Jewish aunt. And every whether it's Passover, whether it's Rosh Hashanah, Yom Tov, it's always uh, so. How many balls do you want in your soup, Alex? Do you want a couple balls in your soup? And it's always <laughs> the same. And I, I'll laugh every time. I'll be like, I need three balls. Three She's balls. Like, oh, yes. three balls. Three balls. It's got to yeah. be. Yeah, like anybody exactly. who goes one ball, like, what's wrong? Yeah, like, what you, I mean, like, are you waiting for like the regular? I mean, just eat everything. Like, you, like, it, the matzo ball soup is 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 a standout of its own. Like, I don't need less matzo ball soup because I want more kugel. Like, I'm still gonna have all the kugel, and I'm gonna have you know everything else that's out there. But I'm I'm going three balls for sure on the yeah. matzo ball soup. No, I completely agree with you. And I agree. That was mean. So we'll quack out the name I said. But, <laughs> you know, uh, we'll leave the joke. We'll let it stand. Uh, nevertheless, Steve, uh, for all of our fans, I know I plugged it quickly, but can you let them know where they can find you and, you know, what you'll be doing during this French Open? Yeah. So um, cannot wait to do our one-hour uh, Roland Garros preview show. Myself, Chanda Rubin, Paul Anacone, John Wertheim from our beautiful desk, High atop Philippe Chatrier. That is going to air on Saturday, 11.30 a.m. Eastern, 8.30 a.m. Pacific. And then uh, I will be on the desk for the next 16 days after that, all the way through the final. We'll have Tennis Channel Live. Some of them will be post-game shows. Some of them will be pre-game shows during the second week. Uh, during the first week, we'll have interviews with players. Uh, I'll be on the desk with a, a variety of analysts, but definitely worth time. Uh, Chanda, Paul, uh, others, obviously Martina's going, Jim Courier's going. Um, you know, we, we, we've got the best of the best, our team headed to Paris and uh, Lindsay Davenport. And um, so really looking forward, you know, to being out there. Also, not only on Tennis Channel, but uh, our regional sports networks are going to air four hours of live Roland Garros coverage for the first nine days of the event. And that'll be separate from what's on Tennis Channel. So you got Tennis Channel, you got Tennis Channel Plus, plus whatever you know regional sports network is in your area will likely have our talent calling um, Roland Garros matches. So, you know, it's wall to wall. It's our event. We own it um, and we love it. And, and you know, it, it, there's nothing better than Paris and the red clay. And, and uh, I, I just am so grateful to be able to go out there. I have spent probably 70 of the past 72 hours on some form of tennis channel, whether it be TC, TC+, TC+, one, the replays, all of it. And seriously, if if you're not watching on tennis channel, you haven't had TC+. It's the luxury you deserve after everything you've gone through in 2020. And best of all, you get to see Steve Weissman's smiling face. So, Steve, you know <laughs> it is always uh, a blessing to have you on the show. Uh, we appreciate you, and I hope you uh, fly and stay safe as you head over to Paris. I will look forward to seeing your smiling face and I guess I'll have to WhatsApp you when I want to bother you now. So expect a few of those uh, coming down the pipeline. Well, you're you're an iPhone guy, though, right? I you am an iPhone iMessage. guy. Yeah, just oh, iMessage. Yeah. It's all good. I mean, you could even FaceTime. Like I can FaceTime you from the desk, and I can show you, you know, the players in the background. So, so you know. I would say eight seventeen day three. Expect a FaceTime because day three things get a little day three eight seventeen things get a little easy. Uh, to be determined. That is, I'll leave that up in the air for you. That way that thrill (laughs) is there all day long. (laughs) 
All right, uh, well, but, yeah, no, I'll, I'll keep you updated on everything that's happening. Yes. But, yeah, we'll, we'll be there, you know, from from start to finish. And um, it's it's going to be a fun fun event. And, and interesting to see how all these stories play out. Because, as you know, like, during the first week, that's the week where stories pop up that we didn't even anticipate. So that's honestly, you know, some of the cooler aspects of a Grand Slam. Mm-hmm. And we look forward to hearing your coverage. So, again, Steve, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, again, enjoy, I hope you enjoy your trip and look forward to seeing uh, all of your coverage as well. Be well, my friend. I'll talk to you soon. Yes, of course. Say, tell your mother I say hello. <laughs> well, same to you. <laughs> yeah. All right. See ya. Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with Steve Weissman. Of course, you can see his smiling face and exceptional posture day in, day out on Tennis Channel Live. And as a member of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, it's such a pleasure to get the chance to work with Steve. Uh, I joke around with this uh, about this with him all the time. But seriously, he's someone I always turn to for advice, someone I know uh, will have my back. And, you know, to be where I'm at, it's, I always appreciate that. I always appreciate him hearing me out. Uh, obviously, we have a lot of fun whenever he comes on the show as well. So a big thank you to him, and we hope he stays safe, stays healthy, and look forward to his coverage over these next two weeks for Tennis Channel at the French Open. Of course, we've got a ton of more preview content for you listeners here at Cracked Rackets. If you want to catch up on the day-to-day happenings in the tennis world, all the action in Hamburg, Strasbourg, the Challenger and ITF levels, French Open qualities, and so much more, be sure to listen in day in, day out to our mini-break podcast, you want to hear our picks every day brought to you by our friends at DraftKings. You can listen to our GSP Ace of the Day found every day, every morning here on this Great Shot podcast feed. Of course, like, rate, subscribe, review both this podcast, the mini break, cracked interviews, and Inside Out podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel so that you don't miss our Ace of the Day picks each and every day throughout the French Open. You can see my smiling face on video. You can see our previews of the draws, our midweek, mid-tournament, excuse me, recap video post-tournament uh, finale, uh, and so much more. So be sure to check all of that out. And to find all of our content, be sure to check out our website, CrackedRackets.com. You need those immediate updates. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. It's at Cracked Rackets. You want to DM me, I'm at Great Shot Pod. Shout out, as always, to our super producers, Max Fliegner and Daniel Westoff, for the of an editing job they do day in, day out, making all of this preview content possible. Uh, But with that in mind, again, a huge shout-out to our friends at DraftKings to play along with us. Just go to dkng.co slash cracked open. But with that, for my wonderful guests, Steve Weissman, our super producers, Max Flickner and Daniel Westoff, our friends over at DraftKings, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say, folks. Hey, great shot. And we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.